Every poor decision I ever made was when I was left to my own devices. candy-colored Mac from the, the 90s in the background. Probably not the sexiest thing that people want to hear. I-D-G-A-F. So there's your compliment of the morning. Didn't necessarily expect to see. Fairly consistently trash. Been described as worse. Two compliments. Look at that. You got two compliments there. Pain in the ass, another four-letter word. And people think I'm not a nice guy. Come on. Hey guys, welcome back to the Results Junkies podcast. We were going to start this episode, episode 100, with uh, sort of a coronation of us making it to 100 episodes. And if you think about it, with one episode a week, that means that uh, Paul and I have been doing this for over two years. Um, and while that would have been um, a logical way to do it, and, and, and folks who had planned and produced correctly would have introed the episode that way, there's always the truth. And the truth, Paul, is that right before I left for the Faroe Islands, I said, I need to set up some framework for us to do sort of a, you know, a fun episode for episode 100. And then we got back from the Faroes and you were gone and then I was gone and it was, the schedule was crazy and we just hit the record button so we could get episode 100 in the books. And then as soon as we got done, I said, damn it, we didn't do what I wanted to do for episode 100. So here we sit with episode 101 already in the can, which will come out next week. And we sit here recording live, uh, live-ish, for, for episode 100. And I've got all kinds of fun questions and comments for you. But, but I guess, like, at, at the outset, I'm curious. Did you think we'd make it to episode 100? I, I think that I'm trying to, there's going to be a compliment in here for you, but I think that if I was left to my own devices, <laughs> probably not. And I think... I think that, you know, getting to an episode 100 is sort of more of a, I think, a testament to your patience, but also I think th there's that accountability too when, when it's not just me or not just you. So yeah, short answer, if I was alone, I, w I don't think I would have made it this far, but I think, I think that this has actually been one of the more fun parts of my week that I look forward to now every time we record. So <laughs> two compliments, <laughs> look at that. You got two Love compliments it. there. Wow. So for folks who are just tuning in to episode 100, you can email us, show at resultsjunkies.com. You can find him on social media. He is at Paul Singh on all of those platforms, even on threads maybe. And you can find me at Pizza in Motion in all of those same places. Yeah, I don't know. It's a good question about whether I thought we'd make it to episode 100. I mean, I think the tech tour went further than I thought it would, you know, for the for where, where you started the tech tour and just how many cities you were able to keep building into the schedule. So maybe I'm a little less surprised than you that we made it to 100. Um, and to your point, I, I can also be, see, just tenacious, bulldog, been described as worse, <laughs> usually pain in the ass, another four-letter yeah. word. But I, I, you know, I remember talking to you a number of years before we started podcasting saying that I thought that you'd be a good fit for us to do a podcast. And I thought it could be a good way for us to build deal flow, which was, I think, a, the, like the original thought process. And it sort of goes back to something that you and I talked about in a coffee shop in Ashburn Village back in, let's call it 2015. Going on 10 years almost. Yeah. And the, and the concept was the vault. And you and I were going to collaborate on writing articles on portfolio companies, companies that pitched us, investment strategy. And we're going to put all this in the vault. Some of the content was going to be free and the rest was going to be behind a paywall. And that was, that was like the original Paul and Ed idea. 
right? I still remember that that coffee shop. But but yeah, anyway, I won't take a tangent. Yeah, that's right. That, that we were calling it the vault, and the idea was that we were going to you know, collect all this info and and in theory give other founders the ability to sort of learn from the inner workings, as I recall anyway. And if I'm not mistaken, I think the biggest hiccup we ran into was trying to figure out how you put info in there. Like you, you need people's permission to put it in there, but at the same time, how do you anonymize it enough where they'll they'll agree, but not anonymize it too much where others would still get value from it. And I think maybe that's kind of where it got hung up. Is that what you remember? It was. And I remember back then thinking that maybe we didn't need to anonymize it as much as you thought we needed to anonymize it. And you know, we never did the project. I tend to think that you were probably correct there. But that quickly pivoted to you saying, hey, by the way, I, I bought an RV and me getting to meet Dana. And things accelerated pretty quickly and we forgot about the vault, uh, you know, <laughs> for, for quite some time. And, you know, we sit here a hundred episodes in and I've got some, I got some stuff to go through here, but I mean, you know, I, I guess you know, high level, I think about where we started and just to frame some stuff up for the audience, our very first episode title after the trailer was something that you say all the time, playing to win versus playing not to lose. No, no surprise that that's what we chose for the first title, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, I, well, I have I have a lot of thoughts here, but let me. I don't want to interrupt your thought process yet. No, no, no. I, I have I have stopped. Hit the thoughts, man. Oh, I I think that like um, you know, it's it's interesting. Like I um, you know, when you talk about that story of how we sort of started talking about the vault, and you know, even the you made a comment about like sort of the 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 podcast being about you know deal flow and stuff like that. The interesting part to me when I when I look back, and maybe you know, this is the classic hindsight is twenty twenty. But but I always realize looking backwards, whether it's this podcast or things I've invested in or things I've sort of built or whatever, I always look back and I realize that anytime that I made money, the primary reason I was going to do something, it never worked. So for <laughs> example, you know, like if you were to try to directly attribute deal flow to this podcast, I think you'd fail horribly because I, not that, not that the podcast isn't useful, but like it's just different. People read, people listen to the podcast, I think, after they've already bought into the idea of maybe working together. And so I'm not, I'm not articulating this very well. I'm just saying that like, you know, even with the vault, it's like, I think in hindsight, knowing what I know now, if I had just focused on doing it because I thought it was interesting, it probably would have been successful as opposed to like finding 87 reasons why it wouldn't have worked or whatever. Like, for example, when I think about this podcast, I would still do this on a weekly basis if nobody else downloaded it. I would still do it because yeah. I get enough value out of it personally. Oh, and as a byproduct, other people seem to get value. But like that's that's sort of the inarticulate sort of lesson I think I've learned over the last couple of years. And the podcast, I think, really forced me to kind of think about it more openly because for anybody that's done this before, growing a podcast is way harder than growing a newsletter growing a website with traffic, all that stuff. Like, it's just way, 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 way harder. It's, it's a bigger time commitment. You know, a lot more prep goes into it, that sort of thing. So, but yeah, like, I don't want, what I, the thing I don't want to get lost in all that is, is that even if not a single other person downloaded this podcast, I'd still do it weekly because I get that much value out of it. I think some of my biggest ideas come from just riffing for an hour and you start in one place in the conversation and you end at the end saying like, I didn't think we were going to get there, but man, that was cool. You know, so, uh, 
Yeah, Jeremiah has a term, and I wish I could remember it. It's something along the lines of pod fatigue, but it's much more kitschy than that. And how you know a lot of podcasts struggle to achieve, you know, what they consider to be a breakout number, and then they get tired of it and they stop recording. And and you know, like thinking about that, hundred episodes in, to your point, it, it has been tough to to build the audience. And I, I think I have some some thoughts on what I thought we would, where I thought we would be. But yeah, I'm curious, like. What did you expect when we got started? And then how do you think that matches like where we are 100 episodes? So I guess technically 101 episodes in, but 100 episodes in. Uh, yeah, I mean, I think, well, first off, to your to that point you were kind of making at the beginning there, like pod fatigue and stuff like that. I think that's kind of what I'm talking about is that when people start things for the wrong reason, burnout gets really easy. And, you know not to get like too, you know, philosophical here or whatever. I, you know, you talked about that meeting at the Starbucks and you're right. Factually, that's what we talked about. And I don't think what I'm about to tell you, I could articulate at that time. But when I think back to that same meeting, again, f- factually, you're right. We talked about that. But I think looking back now, I realized that that, that meeting and around that time in my life is when I was really having this almost like this philosophical awakening of like, what in the world am I doing? Because because <laughs> up until that point when I met you, you know, I, I was flying hundreds of thousands of miles a year. You know, I was, you know, coming off a divorce. I was just like, I just had made a lot of choices in my life that in hindsight, it's kind of like, for what? Like, what, what am I doing this for? You know, and it's going to sound crazy, but like right around that time of meeting with you about the vault and talking about it in that Starbucks, like really the phrase that I started to come around to in my head was like, you know what? I'm going to start optimizing for fun and profit in that order. And and I know it's not like maybe PC to say that out loud or whatever, but up until that point, I had done everything the opposite way. Everything's about profit and there was never any time for fun anymore. And And so like, you know, you kind of then made it, you alluded to this comment where you're like, well, then you just bought the trailer or whatever. That's a really good example of like when I really started to just put fun first. I was like, you know, like, why do I have to overanalyze this? I don't need a business case on why I want to go visit all these cities. You know, I don't need a business case for all this stuff. So now getting over to the podcast, you know, again, around that time is when I realized like if I do any, like, and maybe I'm oversharing here a little bit, like one of the biggest sort of emotional wakeups for me around that time when we had that conversation was me looking in the mirror one day and realizing that every poor decision I ever made was when I put money first. I think that's fair, yeah. Every poor decision. It didn't matter. Like whether I was like, I want to raise, I want more cash, I want a a bigger investment. If I made money or winning the first thing, it, it almost always turned out wrong. And conversely, every time I'd done something that turned out really well for me financially and otherwise, it usually started with a thread of curiosity. You know, like 500 was not like some business plan or anything like that. I just happened to read a blog post from this dude in West Virginia who talked about some, you know, interesting investment ideas. I happened to be sitting in a meeting in San Antonio, Texas that day. And I sent him a message. I'm like, are you serious about this? Because I've been sort of angel investing this way. And we ended up meeting up at another event. But it was curiosity that drove it, not not like, oh man, well, I could have like this, that, and the other. So with the podcast, I think it's the same. I think I think that like everybody has these grand ambitions, like, oh, we're gonna have a million downloads on day one. Everybody's gonna 
And particularly with podcasts, podcasts have a way of humbling you because you can create the most amazing thing. And then you sit there and you're like watching and, and then the first download comes in and you're like, okay, so do we go viral now or on episode two? <laughs> so, so, but yeah, anyway, so the point is though, is that like, you know, I, I, I guess again, around that time, I mean, you probably, the part of the story that I think you sort of left out is, is you kind of tried to talk me into podcasting for a while. And it wasn't until about two years ago that I was like, yeah, let's try it. And I think that, you know, one of, I remember one of the big aha moments for me was not the first download or the first, you know, hundred or thousand or whatever it was. It was actually the first time when somebody randomly emailed somebody I didn't know emailed me and was like, hey, there was this one thing you said at minute 27. Yeah. What did you mean by that? And that was eye-opening to me that somebody actually <laughs> listened for that long and was still paying attention. <laughs> Knowing now, like two years into it, I'm, I'm certainly no pro. You've done it way longer than me. But I think that when I think about sort of the value of, of podcasting now, I think the primary benefit to me has been sort of this free space to just talk about, you know, things that you and I find interesting and riff on them. That's the primary benefit. And I think the secondary benefit has been that other people found it interesting and other people, whether we were going to like, you know, do an investment together or whether it was somebody who was going to work with me or I, or even it was just somebody random on the internet, like the second order effect or the second order of benefit was, you know, these new conversations with somebody that, that, that I hadn't met before. So. Yeah, I don't, I don't know if that's like the groundbreaking answer that you or anybody's like looking for, but well, I don't know that there is a groundbreaking answer. I think it's an evolution. I mean, you know, you 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 know that I've been podcasting for a while, and we're you know a couple episodes away from episode three hundred of my other podcast. So four hundred episodes, a minimum of thirty minutes an episode. So right there is two hundred minutes of recording. You know, I listen to every show after we're done. So there's another two hundred hours minimum. Then all the prep time which I would say is probably at least an hour in episodes. There's another 400 hours. So, I mean, like, you know, I'm well over a thousand hours into my podcasting. I hesitate to call it a career because of all of the lucrative financial opportunities that have never shown up because of podcasting. But I think, you know, like I think what I've seen, um, you know, when you talk about, you know, the, the question I posed to you about expectations, I, I'd say two things that, that come to mind. First off, I think I think I expected that we would have more interaction from from fans at this point, but and I'm not trying to put spin on this because I I saw like I I looked at the arc of folks who commented on on my travel podcast and it started out with all of the quote-unquote experts in the travel space poo-pooing things I said. And then it pivoted to these more in-depth in conversations and I I guess I should have seen that part coming. But I think while we have maybe less total connections with folks than I expect, I think the connections are deeper than maybe I initially expected. Instead of people telling us that we're idiots, to your point, they're asking a question or even more importantly, like happened recently and, and has happened you know, quite a number of times, people will see something and say, usually on Twitter, Hey, this is, this is interesting. You know, you and Paul should talk about this or you and Ed should talk about this. You know, what do you guys think? Mm -hmm. And that's where I think podcasting comes in because there's so much nuance in podcasting versus a blog post. And I think there's this forced honesty because it's two people having a conversation. And 
both of us are willing to tell the other one that they're full of crap. So there, there has to be some level of, of intellectual honesty there in, in what you say. Well, I have, I have this, I have this like completely anecdotal, uninformed theory about all this. And that is that like, and again, I'm just speaking through my own lens here, so you can totally disagree with me on this. But, you know, when I think back to this broader idea of like, what, what is Silicon Valley? Like, what, what, what really is it? Because, you know, you, you probably know when we were out on the tech tour, every city kind of wants to be the Silicon Valley of X. They all yeah. say the same thing, right? And the, the fundamental question is, what, what is Silicon Valley? And I, I would say that, you know, and I, and I lived there for four or five years, 2008-ish to, mm, I think I let go of the apartment there in 2014, maybe, 13. Anyway, the point is, is like, to me, Silicon Valley can be boiled down into two things. The first is lots of just serendipitous connections, yeah. you know, ability to just chat with random interesting people, that sort of thing. And the second thing is this sort of incredible sense of urgency and not urgency in sort of the, you know, the worst form of it, you know, uh, your hair is on fire, but urgency in the sense of like, well, let's just go try it. You know, let's not, let's not spend all this time shooting down the idea or, or making it better. Let's, let's just try it for a week and see what happens. And, um, as, as I've sort of gotten older, you know, when I lived there, I didn't have any kids or anything like that. But as I've gotten older, you know, I can't go out there as much. And I, you know, I want to be, I want the kids to be close to the grandparents and all that. But I'd be lying if I didn't say that I missed those sort of connections. And, and the tech tour was an interesting way to kind of meet or make some of that happen where you could still sit down, you know, and have these sort of serendipitous connections with random people throughout the country and that sort of thing. But again, here I am, you know, 10, 15 years later than my Silicon Valley days got a bunch of kids in school now. You know, I don't want to be away from home for more than one or two nights a month if I can avoid it, you know, that sort of thing. But I still professionally want those connections. That's kind of how I've done some sort of my, my deepest thinking is just being able to talk to, to people about ideas. And I think that's where the podcast for me sort of comes full, full circle is that, you know, that hour that you and I block off every week you know, it may not feel like it to you sometimes because I'm seven minutes late there, here, there, two minutes late there. You know, we, you and I reschedule for travel and all that. But it's sacred time because we get to just riff on stuff. And I have no way to prove it to anybody, but other than to say that, like, when I look back across our portfolio and even my own career, some of the biggest sort of realizations don't happen when you're sitting there on a Tuesday afternoon, you know, picking the lint off your shirt. It's when you're just riffing with somebody about some topic and then randomly in, in a way that you can't ever prove it uh, or, or attribute it, the, the idea pops. You know, you're like, oh, I should try this or, hey, that's interesting. Have you thought about X? And again, I know that's poorly articulated, but that, I guess where I'm going with this is that like for me and like where I am in my life right now, podcasting is how I can explore those ideas you know, and, and again, the alternative is that 15 years ago, I could just sit at a coffee shop in Palo Alto right. and look over at somebody's table. Hey, what are you working on? That's super cool. Well, this is, this is the coffee shop, right? This is our coffee shop. That's right. That's right. And, and you know, it's like the other thing that I didn't necessarily expect to see that I do see in terms of how you and I interact and people don't see this behind the scenes, but you know, regardless of what day of the week we podcast, generally speaking, we're texting stuff back and forth. And some of it is sort of auditioning it for the podcast, but other others clearly aren't necessarily podcast stories, but they're these, you know, which way is the wind blowing sort of comments, stories, tweets, things like that. I think it it sort of defines 
the this back and forth element that you and I have that you know we we are we are coffee shopping three or four days a week. We just happen to record it um, once a week. Yeah, you know it's it's interesting. I I don't know if this is the angle you want to go on this, but you know I think that so we've talked a lot about you know whether or not I thought what today looks like was what I expected two years ago. Um, but one of the other things to think about is like, what, where does this go from here? Um, and I, I don't know, but let's just kind of, let me just riff on it for a second. Cause we'll see it episode 200 if I'm right or wrong on this. But mm. I, I think that like one of the biggest, um, problems with podcasting is, is its name. Like people don't like when we think about content, right. And, and I don't know how else to explain this other than to use some personas here. So when you think about making content and, and distributing it and, and all that stuff, you know, we're still not anywhere near like the kind of reach you could get on TV or, right. or like a Netflix show. And I think one of the fundamental reasons for that is, is that that word podcasting is, gets used a lot in this industry. But where I think we're headed over the next, you know, 50 episodes or 100 episodes is really going to be some combination of video and audio and, and more clips getting distributed maybe even like a live office hours live show at some point could be kind of fun. And I guess what I'm just saying is that I think over the next 50 to 100 episodes and weeks in our case, I think podcasting in order for it, like podcasting on the whole will not go mainstream until more of its shows attempt to try to go broader. And and maybe that's a big statement, but it's like, when you think about like Joe Rogan and, and Jocko and some of these other folks with like big shows, you know, the interesting thing to kind of think about is like, at what point does the video get live streamed on Netflix on demand? Or, you know, I, I don't know, this again, half-baked thought, but this is the whole point of, you know, the why I like to just be able to riff on, on, this, on this show is that like, I think that when we can eventually get away from the word podcast and really make it more about the show, I think it kind of maybe opens up a lot more eyeballs and ears to this. I think I guess where I'm going with this fundamentally, though, is it's going to go multimodal. And I don't think, and when it does, I don't think you call it podcasting anymore. Like, is it really a podcast if it turns into a YouTube show that happens to also have it, you know, distribution on podcast networks? It's like something more, I think. Yeah. And I think, like, I do think podcasting is moving out of the audio genre into more things, to your point, but but it's really struggled for discoverability in the, in the audio sense of things, you know, and, and even on the video side, you know, we've been doing video for my travel podcast for probably 20 episodes now. And it's, you know, it's funny. I never thought it would be quite as hard as it is to produce a video podcast. And it's not that video is hard necessarily. It's the, it's the 30 minutes to an hour of packaging it all together. And, you know, you know, it, it's harder than to say, <laughs> you know, mid episode, Hey, Jeremiah, can you cut that right. part? We're going to say it again. Right. You know, all those, all those little things that, that, that you sort of learn. And so I, like, I've been bumping my knee on the, on the counter with miles to go. And I, you know, I think it'll make me a better video podcaster when you and I decide to go that, that realm. Shifting gears for a bit here. I, you know, I, I pulled a couple of episode titles that I thought would be a good way for us to sort of sum up the the first year and you know grab your thoughts on them as we go here and I, you know I think just from a from a 10,000 foot level I thought we started out with titles that were very prescriptive and then as as the show evolved they 
the titles sort of matched, maybe not necessarily current events of the day, but the things that you and I were thinking about things that we thought were important. But I think it's an important distinction because the things that we thought were important were certainly not always the biggest issues of the day. But, you know, with playing to win versus playing not to lose being that first title, I think one of the other titles I think that was, you know, that really stuck out to me, I looked at them, was, you know, title, uh, you know, fundraising will be tough in 22, meaning 2022, unless you're very early or very late stage. And as you sit back on and, and think about that, that title, I'm, I'm curious, how, how right do you think we got it? I think we nailed it. You know? And it's, it's, it's easy to, you know, pat our own selves on the back. I mean, th- there's a lot of things we didn't nail. Like we didn't, nobody really knew where the macro economy would be and the specifics of it and all that. But, but all in all, I think we kind of nailed it. I mean, early stage, I mean, look, at, first of all, Capital is getting easier, or sorry, harder and harder to get right now, just given that there's been no liquidity, you know, I think no major liquidity for anybody in a year, year and a half. But I think we, on, on the broad, in broad strokes, I think we nailed it. You know, I think that, you know, that 0% interest rate environment was not going to last forever. And, and I don't think anybody would disagree with that. I think it was just more of a question of when, not if, you know, the, the pendulum would swing the other way. And that's where we're at now, you know? And so I think, I think we got it. I mean, I think we might have missed a couple points. I think we certainly didn't know how to predict the future any better than anybody else. But I think right. the intuition of, hey, something's not, something's going to give here and you better buckle up. I, I think we, we got that right. Yeah, I think if we got anything wrong here, I think the part that seemed to, you know, maybe be a little bit different really was, I don't think late stage funding ever, ever opened up as much as I thought it might open up. You know, and I think that late stage funding still struggles mightily. And you've said this a couple of times on the show. There's just, you know, there's competing interests, whether it's, you know, distressed real estate funds that people are investing in or the fact that they have distressed assets and they don't, you know, they're an LP telling the GP they don't want to make the next contribution. There's a lot of, um, a lot of, a lot of, a lot of strain on, on late stage funding. And, and to some degree, even some of the biggest late stage, late stage funders, like, you know, Bill Gurley talking about playing in seed stage investing, you know, there's still activity in early late seems tough. Like, I, you know, it's going to be another 23 feels like it's going to be a very, not another very tough year for, for public exits. And of course we had the SPAC conversation. Well, I guess we haven't had that yet. We'll in episode 101, we'll be talking about a conversation <laughs> about a predicting about the future, a SPAC, about a SPAC that didn't SPAC. Yeah. So yeah, I mean, I think we were, I think we we're directionally accurate there. I think maybe we didn't really understand how, little the IPO market would spark up in, in 22 and it doesn't appear to be ready to spark up in 23. Yeah. In the next title I, I, I picked and not to, not to pick the scab off. It was from Paul, uh, Uh-oh. semicolon. I definitely hate my first version of beacon. <laughs> yeah. 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 I mean, I think so beacon was interesting, you know, I think, um, okay. So we talked about that a lot and then like, it sort of feels I think if you're in the audience and you're listening to this, like it feels like one day we just stopped talking about it. But I think the the truth of it is is that a couple things kind of happened at the same time. The first is is that the, the there was this realization for me late last year. So we're recording this August, late August of of 2023. So late last year, like if I were to look back at the commit history on on that, I think it was around November, December when I sort of realized that like it was an arms race for hardware that was going to determine whether or not this was going to be successful. Like the, the, the software worked. Um, it was starting to really be promising and, 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 you know, all that. 
But I think on one of the episodes in late 2021, I kind of made this prediction that um, when Ethereum had gone from proof of work to proof of stake, mm -hmm. that, that the GPU market would just go wide open and crazy. Now that did turn out to be true. What I didn't anticipate was like that arms race that then came right after it. And not to switch gears, but it's related to this. And I didn't know this at the time, but we just saw NVIDIA's, I think, preliminary Q3 report come out yeah, for 2023. Lord. And their data center sales for GPUs went from like $4.3 to $10 billion in a quarter. Something like that. Like, that's crazy. Like, that's, I mean, that's good for them. Good. That's amazing, right? But what that means is that anybody, any technology relay, relying on GPUs you could make the most amazing thing in the world, but if you're not willing to go raise that money and play the arms race, you better not even bother. And that's kind of where I felt, found myself. Like, you know, I was thinking last year, I'm like, ah, do I want to go raise like 10, 20, 30 million dollars for this? Absolutely not. That's just not where I'm at in my life and all that. So that being said though, so Beacon sort of got sidetracked or uh, uh, shelved on the side there. But, but I will tell you that I wouldn't trade the time with it for anything. I think I walked away from that project with way more understanding of technology, uh, particularly GPUs and, and transcription and machine learning and stuff like that. And that's actually helped me when I've looked at a few more investment opportunities this year. And the second thing is coding. Like I just, you know, it's, it's the ability to just actually make stuff is rewarding, but I think also really, really powerful. I mean, not to toot my own horn, but a lot of the things I learned, uh, so like, for example, this year, I released the new marketing website for Strata. And yeah, I had some help from a, a couple folks on the team. But by and large, I sort of built and architected that myself based on a lot of the ideas that I had tried out with Beacon. It's one of those things where like, in hindsight, the path is really clear. But when you're in it, you're like, what is this? What, what am I even doing with this? Right. And so, you know, maybe one other thing I'll just say about that, that that could be a separate episode someday is that, you know, a lot of the common sort of folklore in the startup world is this idea of tinker, 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 right? And, and I think there's a lot of value to that. Just try something yeah. out, see if it works. What is not talked about very often in this industry is the other side. When do you kill the idea? When do you stop? And that, that to me is the more interesting part of Beacon is like, what, like what, what led up to that, to that, to those days? Like if I were to show you the GitHub commit history, you can see in hindsight, again, only in hindsight, you can see like lots of code commits, lots of code commits, and then it trails off a little bit for the course of the next two or three weeks, and then it just sort of stops. And nobody ever talks about that. And I can go back into my, I use Apple Notes on my phone to try to write down mm. my thoughts as I'm, as I'm kind of thinking about stuff. And actually, if you go back and look at a lot of those notes, it's like there's questions I'm asking myself of how many GPUs will I need? Okay, where will I host right. this? Like, okay, I don't want to be on call 24-7 to make these GPUs work all the time. And, right. oh God, if they do break down for an hour and something stops, like, we're talking about hundreds of thousands of dollars of compute time that might be down. Like, I don't want to be on a pager, you know? So, but nobody ever talks about that, right? They always talk about like, well, just tinker, 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 and then it's overnight success. And that's not what it was. So, so yeah, so Beacon was... A fun project, but you know the truth of it is, I realized that I would have been massively outgunned unless I had decided to go down the venture path, and that's right. just not where I wanted to be, um, you know, in this part of my life. Probably not the sexiest thing that people want to hear, and I realize the irony of that, by the way, 
you know, an investor <laughs> investing in other people's companies, but wanting that the money in return. So <laughs> maybe maybe I'll talk to my therapist about that. We'll see. Your therapist got a lot of a lot of work ahead of them. Well, I was gonna say his name is Ed Pizza, and uh, right. the the, the, yeah, the week, firm yeah. is called the Results Junkie Show. <laughs> yeah. So two more titles, and then we'll uh, we'll get out of here. An interesting one because I'm still not sure if this is true or not. We had our Apple and Twitter on a collision course, and you know we were talking about Twitter challenging and Elon challenging this, you know, the the notion of Apple's walled garden. And curious how you think we stand there with that question. So I'm trying to remember, but I think that title was really that episode is really more about like sort of that that garden between Facebook and. Twitter, what we didn't really anticipate was Apple uh, sort of taking away all the attribution and then that further complicating the whole situation. If I, it, now my memory might be mistaken here, but I think around the time we recorded that episode, I don't know the date of that or whatever, I think that both of those platforms were still a viable way to think about spending paid dollars and, and, you know, putting your content on to try to get users and stuff like that. But what really complicated things along the way is that all the attribution was lost. And Apple sort of triggered it with iOS 14, I think it was. But over the years, like, all the platforms have gotten harder and harder now. So, for example, if you were to post a link on X, I think there was a study released a couple days ago that any external links on X have like a five-second delay sometimes. And it's like randomly inserted to kind of make it harder for people to want to leave the platform. Even Facebook, engagement on Facebook has, has been weird for the last year and a half. All the algorithms have changed and stuff like that. Like for me, for example, on this topic, maybe it doesn't seem like it's on this topic, but for example, the thing that's surprising to me is, is that here we are in mid to late 2023, and of all my platforms, LinkedIn is the one that's crushing it the most. Hmm. That is not something you could have convinced me of when we recorded that episode. I thought back at that episode, I thought, okay, well, if we're going to create content and we distribute on Twitter and or Facebook, let's see if we can kind of game one or both of those algorithms, see what happens. For me anyways, both of those algorithms have been fairly consistently trash. And the LinkedIn algorithm is kind of where all the clicks and the eyeballs and the opportunities seem to be coming from. Hmm, interesting. Well, that's that's a really good segue to to the last title I wanted to bring up because I think it does bring us you know pretty close to where we are with 100 episodes in the can. And that was the... Stripe for healthcare title. Okay, that's a big one. Where do you want to go with that? <laughs> <laughs> well, I think, you know, I, I think it, it probably seemed like it came out of nowhere for some of the folks who listened to the show, but, but for you, it seemed to be a very gradual but methodical next step. Is that fair? Yeah, that's fair. Yeah. I mean, I think, I think that, so let's start from the macro and get into the micro here. So like in the macro, I think people have this, there's this sort of, implicit understanding in the tech and startup world, lightning strikes, you jump in, and then there's this quote unquote overnight success. <laughs> <laughs> and you and I both know that, you know, especially on the investing side, you know, it's, it's exits and all those things kind of are years in the making and somebody was tinkering years before and then, you know, and going from there. So, yeah, I mean, it was sort of uh, tinkering with Strata, getting to know the team, getting to know where we're going to go with that thing, getting to kind of get a better understanding of how it works. And actually, let me just kind of tell you what I think that people don't expect me to say about this. I, I think one of the interesting things as you get older, when you think about your career, it's that you should really just focus on finding and playing games that you know you can win. Like there's no, there's no like honor in, in trying to like, 
roll the dice every time, you know, hey, this is this could fail, but I'm going to go full into it or whatever. Like, there's no honor in that. Even though it makes for a fun story on TechCrunch, there's no, that's, you're just really like making life harder for your kids and your family and stuff like that. So really what you should be doing is thinking about, okay, so this is not what you're asking, but it's the only way I know how to talk about it. You know, and, and, and we can talk about strata here in a second, but like the bigger thing here is, is that the older you get, the more I think you have to think about your opportunity or your surface area for opportunity or your surface area for luck. And what I mean by that is, is like, I think a lot of people implicitly think luck is out of your control. It's one of those things where if you're just in the right room at the right time, like it's just, it's, it's just completely like a passive view on how or what luck is. And I think the older I get, the, reali- the more I realize that luck is really about having an opportunity surface area and really being thoughtful about how do you make your surface area, how do you expose yourself enough to, to, to have more chances at luck, right? 100%. And so you've got to do you. Some people do that. Like if, if we were t- thinking about luck surface area 10 years ago for me, it was flying everywhere and making 500 be everywhere. And by, by increasing that luck surface or that opportunity surface area for collisions with interesting people, we'd then run into interesting people to then fund and blah, blah, blah. Then I did it again with the tech tour, right? You know, we just go to more cities and you op- open up that opportunity surface. Area. And, and then same thing here, like even though I'm not traveling as much and we're, you know, we're Dana and I are in that part of our life now where we're sort of raising kids, you know, if you still want to keep creating that opportunity surface area, you got to find a way to do it. I think the simplest way to do it is have an email list, talk about what you, what interests you on that email list, post it on social, explore a podcast. And so Strata, you know, no offense to anybody at Strata listening to this, but like early on, Strata was one of the many things alongside Beacon and others that, that I was sort of experimenting with. And then as you learn more and more, you have to then decide like, where where is the attention going to go? And I just, made a decision, I think late last year-ish, maybe early this year, I'm mis- mixing up time now. But whereas like, I think there's a bigger there there. I'm outgunned on Beacon. Some of the other yep. things that I had explored just didn't interest me enough to even think about more mm-hmm. than a couple days at a time. Yep. And, and, and I know that sounds like weird, but there's a compliment in there somewhere. But the point is though, is that like, yeah, it's Stra- Strata was like sort of a long time coming. And then finally you kind of make the decision of like, do I really want to be tinkering? Like, I think there's a saying from, so we invested in this company called AngelList years and years ago. I know you know what that is, but the audience may not. Yep. But the founder of that company, Naval, he's probably one of the smartest people I've ever met. I've actually only sat down with him like three times in my life, but he is probably one of the smartest people I've ever met. And he has this saying that I didn't understand at the time that, that now I think maybe I still don't fully understand, but I, I embrace it more and more. He says that you need to work like a lion. And, and you don't really understand what that means. You're like, what the hell? What does that even mean? If you actually think about how a lion or a pride of lions eats, they don't actually, like if you were to go on a safari right now, 23 hours of the day, they're always just laying around. They're just, they're, <laughs> they, you know, you have these pictures in your head of like lions, like these graceful, magical things that just are always destroying everybody. Truth is, when you're on a safari, 23 hours of the day, they're sleeping. And if you get lucky, if you get lucky, you catch them in that one hour of their day or whatever the number is, it's a very small part of their day where they just go destroy what they're going to go eat. And then they just go lay right back down. And, and that's kind of what Naval's talking about <laughs> is he sort of talks about this idea that like you need to work like a lion through the arc of your career. 
And what he's what he's saying, or at least the way I interpret it, is, is that you know uh, there's this this thing of like you got to work hard, you got to work hard, you know, da, 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 and that makes sense. But what Naval's saying is is when you're going to work hard, do it like a lion. Just go all in and win, and then you take a break for a while, and then you go all in again, and then you take a break for a while, or whatever. And so. Strata, I think I'm sort of in that lion phase now where it's like, okay, I can see how it works. I can see how it fits. And given everything else that's on my opportunity surface area right now, this is big, fun, interesting, profitable. Let's go after it. Yeah, like I, I guess I get it. From the outside, it's like, wait, you never talked about this before. Where'd it come from? But you and I know that you and I talked about it behind the scenes for a long time. <laughs> before. A long time, even longer than we even just teased it on the show right. too. Right, right, right. Like just as a nascent idea and like I'm helping I'm helping these friends out and you know, yeah. this and that. Yeah. And, you know, very very passive to to more like then you would ask me my opinion on some things and then all of a sudden it was not all of a sudden, but it was like I'm in. Yeah. So yeah. so so let's wrap with this question. You know, we didn't we didn't think about what the the first, you know, hundredth episode was gonna look like when we started episode one. So I'll ask the the, the Two-part question, the one easy and the one softball. Do you think there will be an episode 200? And how different do you think it'll be from episode 100? I think unequivocally, unless you quit on me, I think there's going to be an episode 200. And I think that it's going to go, I would think, opposite of what most people think. I think it's going to go more just authentic chat with you and me. And that's because like the thing I want to tell you that I don't know that you're expecting me to tell you is, is that like the more and more I do this, you know, I've talked about like why I think it's interesting and how I can like, you know, riff and, and it helps me think and all that. Right. But the part that I haven't told you yet is like the more and more I get into this with you and, and, and have this chance to just talk, the more I realize that like this may be one of the, the, the lasting things that my kids might listen to someday. Not because they get value out of it, because but because maybe one day they're like, I wonder what dad was thinking about. Hmm. And maybe that's an overly romantic way to think about it. But like, you know, I, I'm, I'm 42 years old now. My parents are in their 70s. And like, this is a separate discussion for later. But like, my parents come from a culture where you don't talk about your past. You don't talk about, like, I don't know what my dad likes to do. I, I genuinely... I have no idea. I have no idea what makes my mom tick. You know, like I respect them and love them as parents. I know they love my kids. I, I like, I, they, they have been great parents by any measure. But when I think like at this part of my life, when, you know, I'm raising my kids, I think a lot about like, what, what will my kids remember me for? And, you know, you, you try to be present at breakfasts and dinners and you try to make memories and all. But I look at this podcast more and more as like, one day they might want to just know what in the world I was just talking about when I wasn't just hammering away at a keyboard. And maybe this is it, you know, maybe, maybe one day they can kind of hear me talk about it. So not sure if that's what you were expecting to hear, but I think that episode 200 is going to happen. I still think it's talking about tech and investing and all that because that's, that's my life. And I, I think it's just going to get more authentic. I think, you know, just one more comment about that. It's one of the reasons why I've never sort of like split tested the titles and stuff like that. Like, I'm not, I don't know about you, like, when I think about this podcast, I'd rather have 20,000, you know, people that really find value from this rather than 200 million people that looked at, you know, three minutes of it or something. I don't know if that makes sense. I'd rather give more value away 
and have some fun pro uh, with this, even if it is just a smaller that we reach. Just because I'm having fun with it. Yeah, and I mean, like that's like I that's where I started my travel blog almost 20 years ago now was because I wanted to sort of catalog things for my kids uh, so they could remember some of those early memories. So I, I can certainly relate to that philosophy. I do think there'll be an episode 200. I think that people will be looking at us in episode 200, and I'll be trying to figure out if I swap out the airplanes that are in the background for the Miles to Go podcast with like, you know, an old like candy colored Mac from the, the <laughs> 90s in the background with, you know, like glider on, installed on it or something. But but I do, I do think there'll be an episode 200, and I think it will be, I think it will continue to fall under this category of IDGAF. And yeah. just to keep it clean so Jeremiah doesn't have to beep anything out, we'll leave out the last letter, but I don't give a... I think we yeah. started with the show with a very set formula of what we thought these episodes would be, and, and to your point, like, how do we get traction and stuff like that. And now it's just, we're going to talk about what we enjoy talking about, and we're going to answer questions when they come in, and we're going to look at what people are posting about on Twitter, and we're going to try and just break all that down. Yeah. And I think that's I think that's where we'll be on episode 200. I think it's going to be fun. You heard it here. We'll uh, We'll check back in in two years. <laughs> there you go <laughs> all right man all right man well thanks for uh thanks for riffing out with me on episode 100 which was technically 101 but we're gonna call it 100 anyway it's gonna be fun well i appreciate you putting this together and then we'll talk to you here shortly all right buddy all right man the preceding was produced in association with Crooked Path Productions.